Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're so grateful to be in your presence that whenever we get together, no matter where we are, Jesus, you promise to be with us. We're thankful to beginning this Advent season, uh, getting ready to welcome you, Jesus, as a newborn baby once more into our lives and into this world. We pray, God, that you would um, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you're doing in the next month all around us in the midst of busyness, in the midst of preparations and celebrations and all kinds of different events that happen during this season. Help us not to get distracted by that busyness, but to stay focused on what it is that you want to show us and what, what you're doing in the midst of that in our relationships and in our events. Help us to be part of the things that you want to do to share your love and the gift of your son in this season. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so we're in the first Sunday of Advent, and in that Sunday, we are getting ready to welcome the event of Jesus' arrival, which takes place, we celebrate on Christmas Eve. And the first candle that we light on Advent is the candle of hope. And so I asked you the community time question this morning, what do you hope for? Raise your hand if you find that to be a hard question to answer. This was my experience this week as I asked some people, they just kind of stared at me. Like, I don't, I don't know, I don't really know. And I, that's fine. I think it is kind of a hard question to answer, but I'm not sure, I'm not sure why. Now, for others of us, there are some things that we're hoping for. Um, and I'm gonna start with the list of things that we're hoping for that are extremely trivial, okay? So here's one thing that I'm hoping for that I'm putting the challenge out to you, you who are mechanically inclined, all right? Raise your hand, a lot of raising your hand today, all right? Raise your hand if you rode a big wheel when you were a kid. Okay, like 70% of the people rode a big wheel. Did you know that there are adult big wheels? <laughs> you knew this? A few of you knew this? Okay, here's one thing I'm hoping for that has almost no spiritual value, okay? I'm hoping that someone from Mill City Church will build a drifter bike adult big wheel. And if you don't know what I mean by that, I'm about to show you a video of exactly what they look like. Are you ready? So this is, you need to build it to these specifications. Take a look. excited about that? It'd be kind of sweet. Now, you probably only want to ride it like three times is the problem. 
It's not like you're going to be commuting to work on your drifter adult bike. But if we build one collectively, right, kind of co-op style and share it, and we put like a Mill City logo on it, could be cool. What are some of the things that you heard people saying who could answer the question during community time? What were some of the things that people are hoping for? Just shout them out. Reconciliation, much more serious than my trike example. Thank you. What else? Warm weather. Good luck. What? Lunch. What? Your kid's future. Yeah, good. What else? Love. More friends. Facebook or otherwise? Otherwise. I got it. Yeah. Anything else? One more. What's, what are people hoping for? An awesome year. What was over here? Good health. Right. So there's all sorts of things that we're hoping for. And with the kids, when you're around the kids, the kids are hoping for lots of things, especially around Christmas time. And we have this kind of subtle message that I want to point out that we sometimes tell them. It has to do with Santa. So when we talk about Santa and children, what is it that you tell people, what is it that some people tell kids about what they need to do in order to receive what they want, what they hope for from Santa? Be good, right? So you tell your kids, listen, if you're good, Santa's watching you, and then he will bring you something that you're hoping for on Christmas. If you're bad, what do you get? Now, that's very confusing. My son's name is Cole. He's having a hard time processing that if you're bad, you get Cole, but that's a different story. When you think about this message that we're telling about Santa, it might be the absolute worst message from a Christian perspective you can think of for a kid, right? If you're good, you get a good thing. If you're bad, you get a fossil fuel. Um, what we're teaching some of the kids implicitly, and I know it's just in good fun, is that we kind of get what we deserve, right? And, and that if they're hoping for something great, which is usually something kind of insignificant, like a big wheel, probably, then what we're messaging to them is, if you're good, if you do the right thing, then you'll get, you'll get what you hope for. What you hope for in general, whatever it is that you're hoping for, uh, really shapes how you behave. And that's what we're getting at with that message to the kids. Uh, if you hope for this, then you ought to be good. So I want to help draw the connection today for you that whatever your thing is, whatever it is you're hoping for, it is already shaping how you're acting. Uh, it might be in a really negative way. It might be in a really positive way. But there's a direct link between what we hope for and how we live our lives. And so what I want to talk about today is some of the things that we might be hoping for and how that affects us, how it affects how we're living. And I want to look at the Christmas story and how the hope that God puts in front of us in Jesus can maybe change some of the things that we're doing in our regular everyday life. I think the birth of Jesus and the hope that we find in the birth of Jesus really changes what we hope for. It, it, it directly addresses what we're hoping for and starts to change what we're hoping for. So there's all kinds of things that we might be hoping for, and what you hope for is shaping how you're living your life. I started to think about how we're hoping as a country. What is it that we're hoping for as a group? And I made a big long list of things that some of us might be hoping for. 
So I've heard these in conversations over Thanksgiving. Anybody have some fun political conversations over Thanksgiving? I did. I'll tell you about them later. Some of us are hoping that the economy will improve now, right? Some of us are hoping that there'll be more and better jobs for more people. Some of us are hoping that we can get better health care. Anybody's health care rates go up? Yeah, some of us are hoping that the health care rates will go back down. Some of us are hoping that there'll be more peace, both in our country and around the world. Some of us are hoping that our schools are going to get better. Some of us are hoping that we can have a country where everyone is respected and has the same sort of opportunities as everyone else and people are treated fairly. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on, right? And I was really trying to listen over the weekend to some people who, some of which I don't have a lot of agreement with, to say, what is it you're hoping is gonna happen now in our country, in, in our state, in, in our communities? What we're hoping for needs to be changed, needs to be shifted and challenged by who Jesus is and the hope that Jesus brings with us. So as we look at this story in Luke chapter two today, I want to I start by saying, here's the thing that the people in Jesus' time were mostly hoping for, okay? Compare that to our list. The people in Jesus' day were hoping for things like the restoration of Israel. They wanted the nation of Israel to be great, to be powerful again, to be a world leader. They wanted freedom from Roman oppression. They were being oppressed by the Roman government. They wanted to be set free from the Romans. Most of the people in that time wanted to pay less taxes. They were upset about how many taxes were being taken from them by the Roman government in order to uh, do whatever it is the Roman government was trying to do. Some of them were really hoping for a different political leader. They had a political leader named Herod, who was the king of the Jews, who was totally sold out to the Roman side of things and didn't really pay attention to a lot of the needs of the, of the Jewish people. They were hoping for a different guy. They wanted to elect a different guy. There were no elections back then, but they wanted to get a different guy in power, lots of them. Lots of them were waiting and hoping for a Messiah to save them, a, a king that God would send to accomplish a lot of the things that they, were, that they were wanting to see happen in their country and in their life. They wanted a leader to come and show them how they were going to get back to the place that they wanted to get back to. And their list could go on and on and on and on again. But when you put the two lists next to each other, they're not actually that different, right? They have to do with political realities and taxes and jobs and people's well-being and the future of children and independence and freedom and all those same kinds of themes. And the one thing that happens when Jesus comes, when Jesus is born, is that he radically changes what people were hoping for. What Jesus shows this group of people in the first century is that what they were hoping for was way too small. What they were hoping for was way less than what God had in mind for them. They had a sort of narrow, everyday version of what they wanted their life to be like, and it wasn't gonna be anything close to that. God blows up their expectations and says, you were thinking that your country and your people were going to, to experience this, but I have in mind hope for the whole world. I have in mind using those people who will trust me and follow me 
to redeem and restore the whole thing, not just your group, not just your people, not just your nation. So my main message for you this morning is simply that Jesus changes what people hope for. And I want us to look at this story and ask, are there ways that we need to let Jesus change what we hope for today? So if you want to follow along, we're going to be starting Luke chapter 2. I'm going to read the story of the shepherds hearing the announcement of Jesus' birth. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Here's a little bit of background in case you're not familiar with the story. Jesus uh, is, is being born, and one of the things that God decides to do at Jesus' birth is make this ridiculous UFO-like announcement to some of the poorest, most insignificant people in, the, in this community, in this, in this culture. And so I was trying to imagine like where this would take place in the US. You'd have to pick some kind of obscure like Area 51 type place where this announcement would be made to people that nobody would believe if the news came from them, all right? And God decides to make this enormous choral announcement of Jesus' birth to these people. So let me read you the story and then let me tell you why I think it shapes our hope. In verse eight, it says this in chapter two. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. They weren't just working in the fields, they lived in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And then they had, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. So these shepherds who are living in these fields and watching over their flocks see this unbelievable announcement in the sky that terrifies them and then sends them into Bethlehem to find out what is really God is up to. Why is this story important? Why is this story even included? It's not like these people had any kind of influence. It's a confirmation, maybe, of what it was that God was doing in some way. But why, why make this enormous announcement to people who don't matter? Why make this huge show that, really, frankly, no one else is going to believe that those, those angels were even in the sky, right? It'll be like a UFO report. 
Yeah, I'm sure that's what you saw going across the sky, sir. Please go back to the fields and take care of your sheep. Why does God do this? I think sometimes God does things just to show off. I think sometimes God does things just because God can. God was illustrating in one simple way to a very small group of people how big the birth of Jesus really was. God was saying, what you have hoped for, the whole idea that you have about Messiah, the whole idea you have about how Israel is going to be powerful again, even what you think of in terms of what this leader is going to do for you, it's all too small. It's all too small. What you ought to be expecting is thousands of angels to announce the gift of God's Son in the middle of the sky because that's how big this event is. And the actual event, a little guy being born in a barn with a bunch of animals, is not big at all, right? It flies right under the radar. So you have this juxtaposition of of God coming to earth in human form, being born in some straw where no one's going to see him, and then announcing uh, on this massive level to people who nobody listens to at the exact same time. God is saying, uh, I will break in and make huge announcements to people on the margins, to the poor, to people for whom this will be amazing news, for whom their hope will be shaped about the future. But I won't do that with people in power and political leaders and people who are religious elite. For them, I sneak into the stable. It's an amazing story. So this announcement of Jesus' birth is saying what God has planned is much bigger than any of you can imagine. It's good news, not just for the Jews, not just for the shepherds, but for every single person. Now, tell me, what does the world that we live in now need more than a message that what God has in mind for us is much bigger than any of us can imagine? What message does our world need more right now than hope that goes beyond our own ability to fix our stuff? That hope that goes beyond what any one leader or group of leaders can do for our country or any other country? That hope that the God of the universe is not just leaving us to our own devices to try to figure out how to make it look like the kingdom of God has actually come. Sometimes with Christians especially, I think we fall into kind of two camps on what it is we're hoping for. One of the camps has to do with just imagining that the world that God imagines in the future is going to, get, is going to come about through progress. We've been kind of addicted to this idea for a while now, that things are going to get better and better and better and better, right? What's the, what's the mantra of the United States for, for parents what they're supposed to hope for their children. Anybody? You're supposed to hope that your child's life will be a little bit better than the one you lived. Right? You've heard that many times. Why? Why is that the hope? And then we have some of the millennials who are starting to realize and say out loud, okay, so we kind of have an idea that our life might not be better than the generation before us or the generation before them. 
I frankly don't even know what that means anymore. Are we talking about having more stuff? Are we talking about our houses being slightly bigger or having like 3.5 cars instead of 2.5 cars? What is it we're talking about? The idea that humanity can move in this progression of slow progress until everything gets fixed is complete nonsense. And it's an idea that's been invented over the last couple hundred years where we think, well, you know what? When the phone comes out, here's what happens. What happens when the new phone comes out? Every time, it's a little bit, little bit faster. It's a little bit more storage. And the screen is a little bit clearer. My eyes aren't even that good. I can't tell anymore that there's more pixels or stuff and whatever they're supposed to be. Pixels, is that the right word? Thank you. We, there's a narrative out there that says the way that the world gets better is that by these incremental changes over time. It's false. It's not in Scripture. And none of the people in the first century thought that. These shepherds who heard this announcement, they certainly didn't think that. They didn't think my shepherd life is going to slowly get better generation to generation until finally I'll have other shepherds that are managing. It'll be a multi multi-level shepherd company. They didn't think that. So one camp to fall, that we sometimes fall into is just things are going to get a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better. And then, and then I don't know what happens. Like eventually you just kind of get over the tipping point and things are perfect. That's not how the story works in Scripture. The other camp is what I call the escape camp. All right? This is the one that I kind of grew up with. There's a narrative that says, Things are terrible in the world, and they're going to get worse, and they're going to get worse, uh, but eventually God will rescue us and help us escape. Anybody heard that one? Eventually, it'll get so bad that Jesus won't be able to stand it anymore, and then he'll just kind of suck us out into a better place and leave the rest of everything to just kind of deal with its own problems. That's not really in the scripture either. So if we're hoping for infinite progress, or we're hoping to somehow get out of it and escape it, the, both of those hopes influence the way that you live your life on an everyday basis. Can you see how that would make sense? If I'm ultimately hoping for an escape, then I don't really care that much about whether things are getting better or worse. I'm kind of just waiting to get out. And if I'm hoping for infinite progress and things don't look like they're progressing, I'm devastated. I talked to some of my friends this week for whom this is for sure their hope. They're devastated. They can barely get out of bed because there's no other hope other than making consistent progress. And if they don't think we're making consistent progress, they're devastated. Maybe you would find yourself in one of these two camps. I think Jesus changes dramatically in the first century and the 21st century what it is that we hope for. He says what God has planned is so much bigger and so much different than anything you have in mind that your hope is going to be radically shifted. Let me take us to uh, the letter to the Roman church uh, in chapter 8. Now, now Paul is writing to the center of power in the world, to, to Rome. Imagine he's writing it to Washington, D.C. or Wall Street or something. He's writing to the church in the place where all the power is. 
And in this chapter, there's so much talk about hope, but I've just selected three verses that I want to unpack with you briefly. Here's what Paul says in writing to these folks in the center of power of the whole world. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as as if it were in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. He makes a very vivid picture here, right? Groaning as if it was in the pains of childbirth. Some of you, that's a very vivid picture. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruit of the Spirit, which just means we've kind of tasted what it's like to be connected to God through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We're seeing the first part of of the result of that in our lives. We also groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. That's the way that Greek word shapes up. You can read it, uh, adoption to being children of God. The redemption of our bodies, the redeeming of, uh, of our bodies. For in this hope, we are saved. We were saved. This is the hope that has saved us. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? If I have a drifter trike, I don't put that up on the screen. It's something I'm going to hope for, right? Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And as you think about Advent as a season of waiting and anticipating the birth of Jesus Christ and the thing that God wants to do that's infinitely bigger than any of us can imagine, we say, are we hoping that the groans of the whole of creation and the groans that some of you feel on a daily basis because you know that your life isn't right, you know that your family's life isn't, isn't right, you see that there are wrongs in the community, there's injustice around you, there's people who are far from God. Has anybody felt a groan in the last couple months? I love that word that Paul uses to write. People are groaning. The earth is groaning because it longs for God to do the thing that God has in mind to do. Nothing else will satisfy. What if that is our hope? What if our hope is that God will redeem and restore all of creation? What if our primary hope is that even though we live in these bodies that get coughs and get sick and eventually die, that God will raise us back up and restore our bodies so that we get to live forever in the kingdom of God, in the presence of Christ. And that the things that we're doing now are not just discarded, but actually help to bring about the kingdom that God is going to bring through the the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. Wow, that hope dramatically reshapes what I'm looking for right now. It helps me weather the ups and downs of progress because I don't expect progress to fix all my problems. And it helps me value the things that I'm doing right now because I realize they have eternal value. They're not going to just be discarded after I hit the escape hatch at the end of my life. God intends to do something bigger than anything we can imagine. And Jesus invites us to hope for something that goes well beyond anything that we're talking about 
in terms of what can happen in our space and time right now. Jesus invites us to hope that the world will be recreated, that there'll be a new heavens and a new earth, that everybody who's died will be resurrected, that those who trust in Jesus Christ get to live in his kingdom forever and ever and ever. Not an an endless off on the clouds worship service where you're bored out of your mind because you don't like singing that much in the first place. Not just a political reality that somehow brings about human-based justice for all people, but a kingdom unlike any of us can even totally imagine. A kingdom where the presence of God gives every one of us who trust in Jesus life and breath that where there's still meaningful work to do, where the gifts that you've been given are still used by God, where your relationships still matter, where the community, the way that God designed us to be as stewards of all of God's creation is lived out forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. That's a different kind of hope. And as Christians, right now, the world desperately needs us to say, yes, There are elements of conversations that are taking place that we ought to say, yes, God cares about that aspect of justice. God cares about people being able to feed their families. There's all sorts of things that God cares about in the midst, but our hope goes way beyond any of those conversations. And our hope starts and ends every day with the expectation that at some point, God is gonna break in, just like he did with the angels in the sky, and, and, and recreate and redeem and restore everything to the way that God intended it to be. Isn't that a great hope? Let me invite the band to come back up. I started thinking about um, how it is that I want to tell my children who are seven and six and five what it is that I hope for them. So let me conclude by this. Beyond... Um, Beyond the Santa Claus narrative, here's what I want my youngest, my little people in my house to understand. I want them to hear me say, listen, Jesus came and was born because God values how every one of us was created in God's image. God could have just rescued all of us instead of sending Jesus to us. He could have just pulled us out. But instead, he came to us He became one of us. And that means Cole and William and Michaela, the way that you were made is specifically designed by God to be a citizen in the kingdom of God. And and I hope that in your life, well beyond the basic needs that you have in your life, I hope that you discover this deep trust and relationship with the person of Jesus who became one of us, who gave up his life, and who conquered death so that you three will know that you don't have to be afraid of anything. You don't have to be afraid of what might happen in your life. You don't have to be afraid of death in the end because God has already defeated all those things. And if you understand that, then you can live your life differently because you have a different kind of hope for the future. I want them to know that Jesus has already done everything to set them free from whatever effects sin might have on their life, the sin that they encounter in the world, in their schools, in their communities, and the sin that exists in their own hearts.
Jesus has taken that away because he came down and joined our neighborhood and became one of us and accomplished for us what we couldn't accomplish for ourselves so that we can hope for things that are way bigger than ourselves. And man, kids, you get to be part of that story. In fact, God's already designed a role for you. And part of my job as your dad is to help you realize it isn't that if you're good, you're gonna get great stuff. It's that if you trust in Jesus, your life will have more meaning and more purpose than any other possible route that you can take. If you trust your life to Jesus, you will discover why God created you the way that you were created, and you get to be part of this grand narrative where God's kingdom is breaking in day after day after day until Jesus finally comes in the end and establishes firmly and forever the kingdom of God. Let me just finish by saying, the world, our culture, your workplace, your neighborhood, we desperately need to be able to articulate this hope. Our hope is that God is gonna break in. Our hope is that the kingdom of God is gonna be firmly established on earth. Our hope is that our daily life, uh, more and more, earth will look more like heaven. We're not trying to escape. We're not trying to progress. We're watching and waiting for the God of the universe to break in so we can join the work that he's doing. Let me pray. Jesus, fill us with your hope today. No matter what circumstances we're facing, God, some of us are facing really hard circumstances. Fill us with your hope, God, that, that even though we face hard things, Jesus, you have already overcome. You did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. You became one of us so that we could be redeemed and restored and part of your kingdom. Help us to carry that hope with us as we leave. Help us to carry that hope into our neighborhoods and our families and our workplaces. Help us to be people who speak hope into the lives of other people. Because God, you can do way more than any of us can ask or imagine. So broaden our vision. Help us to see that your goal is to save the whole world and to restore all things and to put us in right relationship with each other and with you. And we can only do that by trusting in your son and what he accomplished on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The birth of Jesus changes what we hope for and invites us to hope that all of creation and everyone who trusts in Jesus can be brought to life the way that Jesus was brought to life after he was killed. And that's our hope. So go out into all of the world, the places that you represent, the communities that you're part of, see if there's an opportunity to say, I think Jesus can change what we hope for this week. God bless you all. Thanks for worshiping with us.